0: Amen. This is the word of God, and we're glad to read it this morning. We're glad to see uh, how God's going to speak to us through this passage this morning. This, this is a very pivotal passage in the book of Ephesians and in the entire New Testament because, uh, because really of this theme, make room. Paul in Ephesians 1 and 2 has laid out, we, we've read it this morning with Matthew, has laid out some of the richest, deepest uh, gospel truth That you'll find anywhere in the bible i mean it is dense and compact with so many good things and when he comes to an end at chapter two he tries to pray this prayer if if you go read the beginning of chapter three in ephesians he says for this reason i bow my knees now you know what i've done right you know how god's called, and he kind of goes off on this tangent talking about his ministry that god's called him to but then he comes back and he finishes this prayer and when he starts this prayer, he says, for this reason. And so what he's saying is, what I'm about to do is completely based on everything in the first two chapters in Ephesians. What I'm about to say is, tot- so if you don't get that, make sure you get that. Make sure you get in Ephesians 1 that God has completely blessed us with every spiritual blessing because we're in Christ. Make sure you get that in the second part of Ephesians 1 that Paul has prayed for the church that they would know God. Make sure you get in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 that though you were dead in your sin, God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. Make sure you get in the second part of Ephesians 2 that because of what Christ has done, he took people who were far off and unlike each other and rivals and he brought them together in one new community because they all had the same need, which was for Jesus to forgive their sins. So make sure you know Ephesians 1 and 2. Paul's saying, for this reason, because the gospel is that good, because Jesus has done these things. And then he starts the passage. He says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now it's it's important first to talk about this passage because we talk about God as father sometimes in our society we talk about we're all God's children and so those are kind of two very different ideas in one sense in scripture we talk about God as our father because he's adopted us in Christ he's adopted us into our family and in that way not everyone's a part of that right I mean not everybody's a part of the family of God But in this passage, what Paul is saying is the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What he's saying is God is the archetypal father. He's the archetype for what it means to start a family because he started every single family. He's highlighting that God is the origin of every family in heaven and on earth. In other words, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. So, this is no light prayer that's going on here. Paul's saying, I'm bowing my knees before this God, the Father, the Creator, the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And what is Paul praying for? And in this sermon this Sunday, we're only going to get through the first part of his prayer. He prays for two major things. And this Sunday, we're going to look at the first one verses 16 and 17. And we're gonna break it down part by part because like I said, this is very dense and rich and I'm excited to see how this prayer impacts us. And the theme of this sermon, and I think what Paul would say is, make Christ the center of your life. Make Christ the center of your life. And we're gonna to try to move in that direction and look at what does that mean to make Christ the center of your life. We're just saying, I wanna build my life build my life on your name. What does it mean to make Christ the center of your life? I first want to acknowledge that this is probably not an odd challenge to hear in church, right? Right, like, hey, your life should be centered on Jesus. You should love Jesus. This should be all about Jesus. Let's praise Jesus. Like, that's not an odd request to hear in church. But I think sometimes we do a disservice by moving so quickly past that that we actually don't talk about how hard that is. And that's exactly what this passage is highlighting remember that this is not Paul writing to the Ephesians saying, I want to command you, make Christ the center. I want to command you, get ready for Christ. I mean, he's not, in a a lot of ways, he's actually not saying make room. What he's saying is, you can't make room, so I'm praying to God that he'll empower the room in your heart. Remember, this is a prayer. This is not a challenge. This is not a command. This is not a matter of obedience or disobedience. This is a matter of Paul saying, what I'm about to say to you is so massive, is so impossible for you, is so big, you actually can't do it on your own. So I'm gonna pray this for you. So I think in the church, while we say often, make Christ the center of your life, what we need to follow that up with is, and that's extremely difficult, so we better make sure we're doing it the right way or we'll never make any headway in that command. It is good that we make Christ the center of our life, and I think Paul's gonna show us how in the world we do that. So as we take little by little chunks of this text, let's look at verse 16. He's saying he's bowing his knees before the Father. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, according to the riches of his glory. When Paul says according to, what Paul's getting at is he's saying, this is the supply that I'm basing this prayer off of. I'm about to make a request, but before I make the request, I want you to know why, who I'm basing this request on. What's the bank account I'm drawing from to make this kind of request? And he's appealing to the riches of God's glory. So he's saying, I'm praying that you're going to be strengthened according to the riches of his glory. So here's the, the comparison. Hopefully we can put this in 21st century language. He's not saying, here's a bank account, and I want you to give out of that bank account. So God, you have... A million riches, and I want you to give a thousand of them to us. He's actually saying, to the same measure that you have riches of glory, I want you to use that same measure in giving us strength. So that begs the question, right? What, is, what are the riches of God's glory? It's infinite, boundless, limitless glory. This is the self-existent God. He's never not existed. He created everything by the word of, I mean, this is the boundless, limitless, infinite God. His glory, his goodness, his beauty is infinite. And Paul is saying, I know that. And to that same measure, I want you to answer this prayer request for me. That ought to allude to us that what Paul is praying for is impossible in our own flesh. So to make Christ the center of your life, we've got to first realize we can't do this thing. We can't do this thing. Paul's praying for supernatural strength that comes from the same measure of the riches of God's glory. Limitless, boundless, endless glory. Paul's saying, would you lavish that on us? Would you strengthen us according to that same riches? because we need it if we're going to be strengthened so that christ can dwell in our hearts we can make christ the center of our life we've got to be strengthened with power and not just any power power that comes from the riches of your glory so this is a supernatural request and it's it's coming from the riches of god's glory and look what he's asking that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I think it's really interesting that he's praying for strength to Christ, for Christ to dwell in our hearts. That doesn't go together for me. It really doesn't. Because I, I think if, if I'm trying to let Christ into my life, if I'm trying to make room for Christ in my heart, I actually think like I probably don't need to be strong, right? Because if I'm strong, I'm going to start depending on myself. I'm going to start leaning on my wisdom and, my, and I'm going to be like, okay, I'm, like, I've got some strength here. I don't really need Christ, right? I'm strong. But why does Paul pray for strength? Why does he say you actually need strength so Christ can dwell in your heart? I think the whole key is where he's praying for our strength. Look at the text. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being. That's where this whole battle is fought. The whole battle of whether or not you're gonna make Christ the center of your life is fought in your inner being. Now, what does that mean? That's not really like common language today, right? Like chatting with your friends about your inner being. The Bible uses the word heart a lot. And I think that's the idea of what's getting at here. Second 2 Corinthians, we see Paul talk about the inner being versus the outer being. What does that mean? Well, our, our outer being is wasting away. Our outer being, our body is wasting away. It's is death is the end of all of us. There's sickness and there's decay and there's our bodies break down. What Paul says, though our outer being wastes away, our inner being is being renewed day by day. Oh, even though it seems like I'm failing, it seems like I'm dying, it seems like I'm being more and more limited, my body's breaking down more and more. There's actually some part of me that's being renewed and they're on opposite trajectories. While it seems like Seems like my, my, seems like my life is going down if I'm only measuring the outward being, my, my body, my mind, my eyes, my memory. Seems like everything's going down. Even at the ripe old age of almost 27, I feel my body breaking down. I used to play sports and now it seems like just a couple years later I've lost my quick first step. Believe it or not, I used to have a quick first step. It's been some years since I've played sports. I feel my body not working the way it used to work, even in just five, ten years ago. But while our, our bodies are, are doing this, there's actually a part of our part of who we are, our inner being, that, that can be renewed. That can have an opposite trajectory. And that is where Paul is praying, we will be changed. So as we're thinking about this command, as we're thinking about this whole idea of the Christian life, make Christ the center of your life. Make Jesus the center of your life. We have to realize first that it does not come from our own power but it comes from supernatural strength from God. Second, we're not talking about changing your behaviors. We're talking about your inner being. We're talking about your heart. We're talking about your heart. What is your heart? It's the The Bible uses the term heart not just like we would think about Valentine's Day and your heart and your love and your emotions, but the Bible talks about heart to talk about the entire seat of your being, the entire source of where all of your thoughts, all of your mind, all of your character, all of your desires flow from your heart. It's your true self. Your heart, think of it like this, is kind of like a compass, And it points all of our actions, all of our decisions, all of our plans, all of our reactions, and all of our relationships. Our heart points all those things in the direction of what we most want. So our heart is so much more than just a sentimental love on Valentine's Day. Our heart is actually the core of who we are. It's our inner being. It's the center of our life. It's who you really are. That's your heart. And so what Paul is saying is that everything in Ephesians 1 and 2, all this beautiful truth about who Christ is and what he's done, how he's forgiven your sins, he's shed his blood for you, he's brought you from death to life, all these beautiful things about Christ, if they're just knowledge that you know because you've read Ephesians 1 and 2 or because you've been to church for a while, because you thought you could change your outer being to match other outer being things that look like people who know Jesus, then you've missed the point because Paul is praying for us and for the church at Ephesus and my prayer for you all this week has been this, that if Christ is really gonna dwell in your heart, that it's gonna take supernatural strength to change your heart. We can't go take a bucket of apples out to a tree and start Gluing them up and say, oh, we've got an apple tree in the back. Do you guys know we had an apple tree right here at Shalford? I went and glued all the apples up there this morning. It'd be foolish. And it's just as foolish to try to staple spiritual fruit to our life when we have no root that matches that. It's just as foolish. You're actually gaining nothing by doing that. What Paul is praying for here is that in your heart, you need strength. So it's a, it's, the source of it is supernatural. The aim of it is your heart. And the source of it is from the spirit. He says that according to the riches, you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And again, that's just reinforcing how impossible it is for us to really and truly change ourselves. Because when we understand our heart is our inner being, We're forced to wrestle with, how do I change that? There's a lot of things about myself that I want to change. There's probably a lot of things about yourself that you want to change. And as you look back on your story, there's probably been pivotal moments where you go, I wish I could change this. I wish I would not have done that. I wish, and we view ourselves in a certain light. We wish there was a lot we could change. But when we get down to the core of who we are, we can really get helpless looking at it and saying, but how can I really change? It seems like I make the same mistakes over and over. It seems like I do the same dumb things over and over. It seems like I constantly am on this cycle. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change. But what Paul is saying in this passage is you can't change on your own. You cannot change on your own. But God can change you. God can can empower you to change. God can give you supernatural strength. You don't have enough strength to change? Great. Because I know a limitless, boundless bank of strength that he's ready and excited to pour out to you. Oh, you think you've changed before? You're not interested in just another strategy of change? Well, great. Well, he's not interested in just changing all the outer things of your life either. He wants to get to your core, he wants to get to your identity and change something so integral to you that all this other stuff is going to change just as a byproduct of it. That's what happens when the gospel truly comes into our life. So, Paul, in his prayer, he actually just sets up a little bit of how he's getting to his requests. When you get down to the meat of it, he's praying there at the end that Christ would dwell in your hearts. What's the purpose? Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. What does that mean? The same Christ he's already talked about in Ephesians 1 and 2. He's saying that this Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. So here's what Paul's praying. That you wouldn't just know about the gospel. That you wouldn't just be able to recite some things about Jesus or that you wouldn't just have a, a head knowledge of kind of consenting to, yeah, there's probably a God, and yeah, I probably have wronged them, but okay, I guess Jesus has set me right. He's also not praying that you would just have a view of the gospel that gives you a ticket for getting out of hell when you die. That's not what the gospel was intended to be. Because Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts. He's praying that the gospel would change everything about us now. Now. That it would change the core of who you are now. So, what does it mean for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith? What does it mean to make Christ the center of our life? I've heard this passage put, the way that word dwell is used. Think about a dwelling, it's a home. So, this prayer, if you want to put it in some, some common terms, here's the prayer. So that Christ would make his home in your heart. That gives it a good light, doesn't it? For Christ to make his home in your heart. What happens when you make a home? Carrie was got some grout last night to put over our old grout on some of our tile floors. And I said, thanks for making our house a home. She does so great at that, making our house a home. Make it just feel homely and cozy. Make it feel like ours, putting your own fingerprints on it. I mean, what happens when you buy A home. What happens when you move into a home? I mean, I can just look out and and probably think of some stories, right? Like first, Nathan and Blair aren't here. And if you've wondered where Nathan and Blair are, they're about this deep in trying to remodel a home that they bought and they're painting and they're doing way more work than I'm ever interested in doing, but they're trying to make a house a home. That's what Nathan and Blair are doing right now. I, I think about some of the things we've done when we've bought a house. Some, some of them are necessary fixes. Some of them you gotta make the house work right and plumbing and AC and heat. Or sometimes maybe you buy a home and it doesn't have a floor in some of the rooms, right? That, that was your story, right? Dylan and Jacqueline, you, you buy a home and it's like, okay, I think we need that portion of the house if we're gonna live here. But then there's a lot of cosmetic things you do when you move in, right? You wanna paint the walls, Maybe you want to take out some walls, you want to change the countertops, you want to put some, you want to make it look like yours, and then what else? You start hanging pictures, you start moving your furniture in, you start putting rugs down, you start putting things not just on the wall, but on the outside, and you start redoing. The whole house begins to take on part of who you are. You go buy some candles because you realize our natural body odor doesn't smell all that great. And then you put two little boys in a room that are two and three. And you go, how do you smell so bad already? I don't even know you sweat yet. So you start getting some candles and some air scents. And then you go, I don't really like that scent. I mean, it's not like it's a bad smell, but it just doesn't fit. So the whole house begins to take on your character, your identity, your DNA. And it's got your fingerprints all over it. If you got little kids. Literally, it's got your fingerprints all over it. And there's things that, because it's your home, guess what? You look over. Like the Sharpie on my kids' doors. We look over it. If we were buying the house, I would have made a little request. Hey, you need to fix the doors before I move in. But it's my house. Oh, well, I don't feel like painting those doors yet. It's your house. You own it. Your fingerprints are on it. It suits you. It's suitable for you to live in, for you to move around in, to cook in, to rest in to get cleaned up in, to get ready in, to host people in. This prayer that Paul is making is he's saying, I'm praying you, the home of your heart, would be strengthened, would be made suitable so Christ could make his home there. What does it mean for Christ to make his home in your heart? First, it means he's got to come in there. It means Christ has got to come into your heart. And then it means you've got to give him every key to every room. It means you've got to let him make trips to spiritual Home Depot by himself because you ain't, you ain't speaking into that process. You don't get to speak into the paint color. It means you give him full reign. It means you give him full decision-making power and you say, make this your home. Make the decisions here. You see how shoddy the work is. You see how unstable the foundation is. You see how messed up the windows are. You see where the leaks are. You see the danger of even living in a home like this. Would you move in and make it your own? And then Jesus begins to come into the rooms of your life and change and transform things. He transforms what you think about. He transforms what you love. He transforms your relationships. He transforms the guilt that you feel like you had. And he says, no, 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 I take it. This is going in boxes and it's going out to the dump because this guilt doesn't belong here because I'm here. I've taken your guilt away. He takes your shame and he covers it. Christ moves in and he makes your heart his home. That's the prayer that we're praying, right? here and I couldn't help but think it was we're saying Jesus move in I'm asking wait a second who is Jesus I mean I know we 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 know right but do we really know like when Paul says make Christ at home in your heart I'm thinking about Ephesians where it says that we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses in Ephesians 1 7 In Ephesians 1, 19 through 22, it talks about that the power of God worked in Jesus when he raised him from the dead. I mean, Jesus was dead and he came back to life. That Jesus making his home in your heart. And then after he was raised from the dead, he was exalted to to the supreme authority over all things. That Jesus, the king over all things, making his home in your heart. Think about Ephesians 2 where it says, by grace, we've been raised up and seated with Christ. And then later on in Ephesians 2, it says, Jesus reconciled far off people into one new community through the cross. This is the Jesus that Paul is praying will make his home in our heart. So one way to say this is that we never graduate from the gospel. The gospel, when we say gospel, it means good news. We're talking about the good news of who Jesus is and what he did. We never graduate from the gospel. But you have a faulty view. We have a faulty view of the gospel. If you think it's something we touch, we embrace, we're grateful for, and then we move on and we don't think about Jesus again until we die. And we go, I think I filled that punch card up. I think I got a free pass. You dig through your wallet. Have you ever had one of those like Subway or Smoothie King? And you're like, I used to have one of your rewards cards. I don't know where it's at. But you don't think about it until, oh, I need a free smoothie. Like, if, if that's what you think the gospel is, then you've missed the whole point of how powerful Jesus really is to you. We don't graduate from the gospel. It's not a course we take that we get our sins forgiven, and then we realize, hey, I can move on, and now I've got to figure out this life on my own, or I can live however I want on my own. We don't graduate from the gospel. J.D. Greer says it like this. The, the gospel, when you hear gospel, think Jesus, is the diving board and the swimming pool. It's what leads you in, but then it's also what you're swimming in for the rest of your life because we can never move on from Jesus. He is our life. So let's pray together with Paul in Ephesians 3. Oh God, according to the riches of your glory, would you grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit and our inner being for this purpose, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Has Christ made your heart His home. Is Christ at home in your heart? Have you let him in? Have you given him free reign to change and transform and put his fingerprints all over it, to move things out, to make room in your heart? I mean, does Jesus have the authority in your life to say, hey, all of this has got to go? Because if not, then he's not making... His home in your heart. If he doesn't have the authority to say that, then that's not, your heart's not his. And your relationship with Jesus is something other than what the Bible describes. But what the Bible describes and what we'll talk about next week more is a love relationship between you and Jesus. Relationship in which he moves in not as a maid or as a servant, but he moves in as a loving spouse ready to love you and welcome you, ready to give you grace and mercy. Matthew and I were on our knees this morning in the office praying, God, would you send your spirit this morning so that Christ, your home, would be in our hearts because that's what really matters at Shalford. It's that Christ is changing us. It's that Christ is moving things out of our heart, making room in our heart. For him and for his purposes. So what does it look like for me to make my heart ready for Jesus? I do think there's something we that Paul's kind of subtly saying we ought to be doing in this passage. Because it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. How does Christ dwell in your hearts? What's your part in this? Faith. Which is a pretty empty, open-handed part, but it's a part nonetheless. Because faith isn't really calling you to do anything or take control or take authority or make this thing happen. Faith is when your hands are open and you're trusting in Jesus. You're turning over control to him. You're asking him, Jesus, will you renovate, renew, revive my heart? You're handing the keys over. You're leaning on him. You're depending on him. And faith is you saying, I can't, but you can And again, just like the gospel, faith is not, we we'll don't graduate from faith. We don't get to this point in faith where we then say, okay, I had faith in Jesus, I got saved, and now i come over here and I, Christian life looks different than faith. Christian life is all of faith. It's all of your faith in Jesus. Constantly, every day, looking to Jesus, celebrating Jesus, rejoicing in Jesus, asking Jesus to take over more of your life. So this morning, we've got a really tangible way that we're gonna celebrate Jesus making his home in our hearts As we're gonna take the Lord's Supper in just a little bit. And the Lord's Supper is an incredible opportunity to remind yourself of what Jesus has done. As we take the cracker of the bread, we say to ourselves, Jesus, this was your potty broken for me. And we eat it. You know why we eat it? It symbolizes we're taking the death and the brokenness of Jesus into the depths of who we are. We're not just looking at it and admiring it. This is your body broken for me. Wow, great, put it down. we're saying, I need this for life. And then we take that cup of the juice and we say, this is your blood shed for me. And again, we don't admire it and look at it. Wow, beautiful, I can't believe that blood came out of you. Okay, put it down. We say, I need this blood for life because through the shedding of your blood, my sins are forgiven. Through the shedding of your blood, I have new life and I have a new relationship with you. And we take it in. Because that's what the Lord's Supper means. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for believers to celebrate the work and the person of Christ in their life. But we have an opportunity next month October 6th, we're gonna have a baptism Sunday for anyone that needs to be baptized. For anyone, first of all, that needs to come to Jesus for the very first time. But we also know that there's plenty of people that have come to Jesus that have never been baptized. You say, Johnny, why does that matter? I mean, that doesn't really affect my salvation, does it? So, so why do I need to go up there and get baptized? I mean, I've been saved 20 years. It's gonna be kind of embarrassing now if I've gotta go get baptized. It's called walking in obedience. And there's a special grace that happens in your life when you walk in obedience, no matter how long it's been, that Jesus commanded us when, we're, when we become a believer, when we come to know him, to be baptized. Why? Again, it symbolizes you've died with Christ, and now you're raised to this new life. So if you want to know, what does it really matter? I mean, I've been a Christian. Why do I need to be baptized? Come, come ask Justin. He was baptized last fall. He had been a believer for a long time. And I think Justin would tell you, and I've observed in his life that God has poured his grace out on Justin, poured his favor out on Justin in a very special and unique way. And I think part of that is because Justin began walking in obedience of baptism. And I think there's people right here today that need to walk in that same kind of obedience and be baptized. And you need to publicly declare to this church, you know what? This isn't my life anymore. I've died with Christ and I've been raised. This is a new life for me. So this morning, before we take the Lord's table, I want to give you a chance to examine your own heart. Have you let Christ in? Or is today the first time you need to express faith in Jesus and let him into your heart? Then if if you've let him in, you've you've put your faith in Jesus, is your heart ready to be his home? And if it is, how, how do you think you ought to go about doing that? because it may not be the way you think. Uh, From this passage, we learn that it takes the Holy Spirit and it takes prayer. Neither of those you're very active in. Prayer is pretty passive. It's us going, God, I can't, I need you, and the Spirit Spirit working in us is not us working, but it's the Spirit working in us. So I want to encourage you this morning to lay your life down. So do you need to let Jesus into your heart? Do you need to depend on prayer and the Spirit and ask Jesus to make your heart his home? And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. And here's what I want us to do. Uh, the band's going to come up and play. Jay's going to play a little bit, and he's just going to play and not sing, at first, and give us a chance to take the Lord's table. <clears throat> but there should have been a connect card close to you, and there should have been a, a pin close to you. And I want you to take that connect card. And I want you to take that pin. And here's here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to tell me which one of those three you're at. Are you walking in faithfulness? Do you think Christ's living in your heart and you've given him the keys to everything? Then write that on there and I want to thank God for you and I want to continue to pray this prayer for you. Or maybe you're this middle category where you go, okay, I've let him in, but I, he needs to make my heart his home because I've not, I've not given my heart to him. If that's you, I want you to write that on there so that we can pray for you. And maybe you're in this first category where you go, you know what? I've never even given my life to Jesus. I've never expressed my faith in him. I've been here. I've been going through the outward thing. And you may say, hey, look, stapling the apples to the tree, that's me. I show up and I try to talk the talk and I try to walk the walk and I try to look like it, but I know that I'm not really a Christian and I need that gospel. Then I want you to write this on your card, Baptism baptism. If you need to be baptized, I want you to write baptism on there. And baptism doesn't save you. We need to be really clear about that. It's your faith in Jesus and his work for you that saves you. But if you need to be baptized, I want you to write that on your card this morning. So do you need to be baptized? you need to be saved? Do you know Jesus, but you need to just open your life to him? Or is Jesus doing a great thing in your heart right now and his, his home is in your heart and he's changing you? I want everyone in here to write one of those three things on their card when I pray. And then, Jay, you guys come on up. Let's pray together. Father, we're really thankful for the gospel today. Because without it, we're in such a mess. But because of it, we're in such an undeservedly good place. And I think about I think about the mantra of a church I know that says, I'm a complete idiot, but my future's really bright and anybody can get in on this. God, that's us. We've not figured this thing out. We've not gotten it right. We say with Paul, it's not that I've obtained this. It's not that I've, I've got this under control. No, it's that you've been really, really good to us. So thank you. And I pray this morning that for the very first time, some people would realize how good you've been to them. And I pray that you would save people this morning. And if that's you and if you need to be saved, he, here's what that looks like. It looks like you expressing your faith to Christ in prayer. I can't give you the words to say. I, I, can't, I can't say repeat after me and give you the formula. There is no formula. Here's the formula. You're a sinner. Christ is a savior. Tell him that you need him. You're a sinner. Christ is a savior. Tell him that you need him. God, I pray this morning that you would save some people. I pray that you would wake up us sleepy Christians who don't want to let you into our heart. But, oh, Jesus, I pray that we would see how good it is when you move in, how you are good to us and you want to take over our life for your purposes and how really we think that might take away our joy. But, Jesus, it gives us more joy than we could ever imagine. Father, I thank you for those people in this church this morning who are walking faithfully with you and whose hearts are being renewed every day and whose hearts are home to Jesus. So now my prayer for all of us, God, is that according to the unlimited riches of your glory, would you limitlessly pour out your spirit on us so that we would be strengthened with power in our hearts so that Christ would dwell there. God, we want to make Jesus the center of our life. We want to make Jesus the center of our church. That's all we've got. So before we say amen, here's what we're going to do. We've got the Lord's table on both sides. We're going to just play some guitar and When you come up to take the Lord's table, whenever you're ready, when you come up, just drop your connect card right here on the stairs of the stage. Just drop your connect card right there. Nobody's gonna look at it. Nobody's gonna pick it up right now. The only people that will see it will be later as Matthew and I pray over these. Come up here and drop your connect card and then take the Lord's table and celebrate how good Jesus has been to you. When I say amen, that's what we're going to do. Just stay in an attitude of prayer. Jay will lead us when we ought to sing. And you come. Jesus, move in our hearts. In your name, amen.